welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Thanks for joining us for episode 14 of A Congruent Life, inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. My name is Andy Gray, and I'm glad that you're listening, wherever you might be, in your car or exercising or working away at your computer. Thanks for being here. Today, I'm talking with Josh Kaufman. I met Josh several years ago when he posted a reading list of business books online that he called The Personal MBA. He later wrote a book of the same name, outlining core business skills. Josh recently has been focused on rapid skill acquisition and just published a book called The First 20 Hours. I'm talking today with Josh Kaufman, who's the author of international bestsellers, The Personal MBA and The First 20 Hours. Josh, welcome to A Congruent Life. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Maybe just kind of at a high level, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so so I am a uh, a researcher by by trade, and 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 I specialize in big, complicated areas of of life that that are universal that that everybody deals with in in some way, shape, or form. So my first uh, book, the the personal MBA, Mastery of the Art of Business, uh, was designed to help people really understand what businesses are and how they work, and and how uh, how you can do better in your career by understanding business, and uh, if you want to start a company or, or are, are already working, uh, starting your own business, uh, how you can make that business run more efficiently and, and more effectively. Uh, so the personal MBA came out about two and a half years ago at this point. And uh, my, my latest book, The First 20 Hours, is about the process of, of learning new skills. And, and that could be career skills. It, it could be uh, skills like, like hobbies, things that you do for fun. And how to go through the learning process to pick up that skill as uh, quickly as possible, so so you can uh, skip through the, the the intimidating, frustrating part, and, and get to the part where you get the results you want, and you're having fun. Let's start maybe with a little bit of your early story. Can you kind of tell us about what maybe some of your ambitions were as a teen and a young adult? How'd you get started on your career track? Yeah, I, I actually uh, first, you know, real real professional interests uh, were were uh, computers. So uh, yeah, I think my first first job ever was was uh, installing and, and maintaining uh, computers for for the local school district, which which is about as about as fun as it sounds. Uh, like you know, explaining to English teachers how to turn it on uh, was 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 uh, not more more common than you might think. Um, so you know, yeah, early professional interests computers. Uh, also was was actually interested in in, in law uh, for for quite a while. I, and one of one of the things, probably the most rewarding things that I that I did in high school and college was I did a lot of uh, mock trial, which which is kind of a, a weird combination uh, of of courtroom and and drama acting kind of things. So um, got to college and decided that I didn't want to fight with people for a living. So I uh, I decided not to go the, the the law route, but but that really influenced uh, my my early learning experiences. And so you jumped into a fairly traditional career, I think, right? You you worked for large corporations, and how did that evolve? Yeah, so so I actually started working for for big multinational company Procter and Gamble 
actually my second year of college. So I, I went to the University of Cincinnati and they had a, a great program uh, called cooperative education where you basically spend half of your time in the classroom and half of your time actually holding a full-time job with, with a company. So I, I started you know, doing, doing um, web design type things for, for Procter & Gamble uh, the, my, my second year of school. And by the time I, I graduated, I, I uh, was actually offered a job in uh, P&G's central group, which, which is marketing. So uh, for those of you who don't know what Procter & Gamble is, um, if you've heard of Tide or Crest or Olay or you know, these, these big household goods consumer beauty brands, uh, that's what P&G does. So you know, I, I started my, my uh, career in the corporate world doing uh, product development for uh, home cleaning products. I worked on, on Mr. Clean and on Swiffer, uh, which is actually more fascinating than it sounds. Uh, you know, I, so you know, one of my first, first jobs was, was working with the guy who invented the, the Swiffer cleaning pad and you know, kind of trying to marry what was, was uh, possible technologically with, um, with what people wanted to um, wanted to have or, or what their needs were in, in terms of cleaning their home. So that's, that's where I got introduced to uh, wonderful uh, consumer behavioral psychology marketing type things. So you're working in a fairly typical business type career. And the way that I found you many years ago was I stumbled across this website called The Personal MBA. And there was this big list of books. And I liked the almost rebellious attitude that it had of there's a different way to educate yourself. There's a different way to develop these skills that, that you might need to be successful in the business world. Can you talk a little bit about that philosophy and how The Personal MBA came to be? Yeah, so the personal MBA was created as an offshoot of me going and, and you know going into this full time job at Procter and Gamble, and I you know because of the of the cooperative education thing, I came into that job in a very non traditional way. So every every other assistant brand manager, which was the the title of the job I held, every other assistant brand manager pretty much in the company had just graduated from a top ten MBA program. So here's me, you know, little little old Josh coming in from, from an uh, uh, undergraduate technology program into a job where everybody that I was working with had graduated uh, from, from Harvard and Stanford and Wharton and, and all, of, all of the big MBA programs. And so, you know, at that point in my life, that was really intimidating. I, I thought that, that they had uh, knowledge and experience that I didn't. And if, if I didn't understand really uh, how what businesses were and how they worked, I would be at a disadvantage in, in my job. I decided just as, as a personal project, it didn't make sense for me to quit my job and go to business school and take out you know a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt to come back to the job that I already had. That would be dumb. I just wanted to learn. I, I wanted to learn how businesses worked. I wanted to learn how to do better in, in, in my career. And so I decided to learn my, on my own. I, I, I went to the Cincinnati Public Library and, and every Barnes and Noble uh, in the greater Cincinnati area. And I just started reading and, and researching. At that point, I was, I was looking for resources that would help me. I mean, there, there are, I think, last I've heard, this, uh, it, there's something around 11 to 12,000 business books published every year uh, worldwide. And that's a tremendous amount of material. Business uh, information has been around for decades now. And so I was, I was looking for some sort of, of guide. So, you know, if I only have a certain amount of time to, to invest in, in my own business education, which book should I read first 
you know, the books that will help me really do better in, in my career and, and do better in my work? And what are all the things that I should, have, should avoid? So if I read the best books first, then I'll, I'll learn as, as, as quickly as I'm capable of learning. So I started looking for a guide on here are the best business books to read if you want to, to learn how businesses work. And I couldn't find it. And when I figured, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing this research on my own. There's, there's this need for this guide uh, that doesn't exist yet, so I'm going to make it. And, and that's where uh, my, my first website, personalmba.com, came from. And uh, the project has, has grown uh, by leaps and bounds over, over the past. I've been running it almost eight years now. And, um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where people find a lot of value in, in just being pointed in the right direction of, you know, here's, here are the things that you need to know about business in order to do well in your work. Here are the best resources that will help you get that knowledge uh, as, as efficiently as possible. My, my first book, the, the Personal MBA Master of the Art of Business, just came from a sim- similar line of thought. It's, you know, you, I've, over the years I've read thousands of, of business books. I, 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 kept, I lost count at, at, at some point. I, I wish I really would have done that. Um, but when you read thousands of business books, you see the same ideas come up over and over and over and over again. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if you just, you know, if, if somebody just collected all of the most important things you need to know about business and, and put it into one book instead of having to read thousands. And, and that's where the personal MBA came from. And so, you know, what, what I've heard that, that, that readers really appreciate about that book is it really, it's, it's, it's a no fluff, no BS you could know absolutely nothing about business and it tells you everything that you need to know about what businesses are and how they work and how you can do a better job. I think the development of that initial site and, and pulling together those lists and, and guides is, is a pretty fascinating process. Uh, you know, as you said, you were just little Josh. You, you were a guy doing your job. You had the sense that you wanted to learn some new stuff, but you didn't really have any authority to do that. You didn't have any particular wisdom that you needed to share. You were on a quest of your own. So what was that process like of trying to build something that's, that's turned into this amazing resource for millions of people without really having that background yourself? There's, there's, there's kind of this persistent myth, and, and one, one of the, the, the fellow researchers that, that I respect highly is, is a guy by the name of, of Eliezer Yudkowsky. He's actually an artificial intelligence researcher, does, does a lot of writing on a site called lesswrong.com, which is all about cognitive science and, 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 and cognitive bias and, and making sure that how we think about the world really maps to how the world really is in, in, in many ways. He, he put it probably the best I've, I've heard anybody put it, which is, you know, when, when you start off on, on one of these, these crazy projects, for, for lack of a better term, uh, something with, with, for, for, for whom you have no authority, you have no credential, you have no nothing, it's just you going out and exploring the world in some way and trying to make something of it. Uh, Eliezer said, you know, a lot of people will kind of, kind of ask or look at you in a, in a weird way and, and kind of say, Where's your aura of destiny, buddy? Like, what, 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 what allows you to, to go and, and, and do this thing? And when really, you know, that, that, that idea of, of an aura of destiny or, or that, you know, there's something special about you that, that makes you able to, to stand up and explore the world and make something valuable, that doesn't exist. You know, the, the people who make valuable things are the ones who spend the time to learn what they need to know, and they spend time creating something that's actually useful to people. So, you know, what's, what's nice about the personal MBA is, 
it grew over a long period of time and, and changed uh, quite radically many times based on feedback that I was getting from real people about what was helpful and, and what wasn't. So, you know, the, the general method uh, was just, you know, I, t I took my, my best first crack at what I thought was going to be useful and, and I heard from readers uh, about what was working and what, what wasn't and, uh, and changed it based on that. And you, you do that over and over, enough, uh, over, and over again enough times and, and you create something that, that is very, very valuable to people. So, you know, that's, that's really where the personal MBA uh, came from, just, you know, trying to put together something valuable and, and listening and, and getting feedback from people who are actually using it to do cool things. And now, ironically, a few years later, you've become this widely respected business leader, which isn't based on your degree from some fancy institution or the amount of money you spent or who you knew or any of that. It's that internal authority that you've developed on your own through many years of, of iteration. Yeah, yeah. And I, I personally you know, wouldn't have that any other way. I mean, it's people pick up the book and, and use the website and get genuine value out of it. So, you know, what's, what's, what's rewarding for me is, you know, the, all of these projects, it, it's not necessarily about me. I, I want to put it out there in a way that other people can use it. And, and I really get a kick out of hearing from people who use it to do cool things. There are thousands of stories. I, I've, I've um, heard from a lot of folks saying, I never really understood what business was. I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I am taking the step now and I'm finally going to start the business that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, you hear of people who are using this in their work and they just get, got promoted based, based on, on what they've learned. And, and ironically, you, you hear from the students who, who, who said, you know, I, I'm, I'm participating in a, uh, in a business plan competition at my school and I just got a scholarship to Harvard because I used what I learned in the personal MBA to win that competition. Like it's, it's just, it's neat to see the, the work that I've done and the research that I've done over the years. It's, it's really interesting to see how people use that to, to make something really cool that provides even more valuable uh, value to people. Yeah, you started to touch on what I wanted to ask about next, actually, which is, why do you do this? I mean, why, why are you sharing this work with the world in this way? Yeah, I, I think there there are a couple of uh, couple of reasons. So the the first is is just by by personality and and, and inclination. Um, I love exploring topics, uh, big things, and, and so you know, bi business is is an area of life that touches every single person in the world in in some way, shape, or form. It's incredibly broad. It's very intimidating. It's very confusing if if you don't have any experience with it. And so, you know, the, the, the interestingness of jumping into a complex area of life and trying to really understand it and break it down and, and teach it to people in a way that they can do something cool, I, I just find that entire process very rewarding. You know, likewise with, with the, um, the research that I've done in, in general skill acquisition for, for the first 20 hours, you know, learning something new is a, or, or picking up new skills it's a fundamental part of being human. We, we all do that. Our brains are, are really optimized to do that in a, in a very real sense. But a lot of people find it scary and frustrating and intimidating. And, you know, all of those, those you know, approaching some big topic uh, or, or area of life and not knowing where to start. And so, you know, half, half of, of why I enjoy what I do is that being able to jump into a big area of life and really try to fully explore and, and understand it. And the other half is, is putting or shaping that into a form that other people can understand 
and use to do really cool things for themselves. And, and I, love, I love hearing stories of, of people who do that. The mission of this A Congruent Life project is really about sharing stories of authenticity. What does living authentically or congruently mean to you? I think it's being honest about what you want and what your values are. And, and trying to maintain what those values are in, in the face of, of pressure to change it. And, and so, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of, you know, publishing, you know, which, which is how I've, I've um, released most of my work over, over the past couple of years. Publishing is kind of an odd bird in, in, in that it is, there's, there's almost a, a default uh, what your goal should be uh, in the process which is New York Times bestseller list or bust. So you release a book. If, if you want to count it as, as a success, you need to hit the New York Times list. Uh, what a lot of people don't understand is, is that those types of, of external goals, so somebody else telling you that this is what you really should be aiming for, don't necessarily line up uh, in, in most cases with the goals that you might set for yourself. So, so for example, you know, if, if I write a book, and I'm, I'm proud of the work. It accurately re reflects what I believe to be true about a particular uh, topic. And it's, it's constructed in a way that people can actually use it to get a cool result. Wonderful. Um, if that book is a commercial success, wonderful. I'll keep doing it. It's great. It doesn't have to hit the New York Times bestseller list or not. Um, I think you know, the, the, the challenge is when you accept a, an external goal as valid, it can change the way you, you approach entire projects, I, I think, in, in, in a not-so-good way. And, and so for, for both Personal MBA and, and First 20 Hours, trying to be authentic to, to the values that I hold, uh, I made a very specific uh, decision to not try to hit the list. Um, so you know, I, I'm not going to do crazy things to artificially you know, pack my sales into a one-week period of time. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to change the structure of the book uh, to maximize the chance that it'll hit, that'll hit the list or, or, or not. It's the, the, the book is an accurate reflection of, of what I think and, and what my research says. And, uh, and some people will like it and some people won't. And, and that is normal and to be expected. And I just keep on doing what, what I uh, believe to be the best thing. Josh, what would you consider to be some of your notable failures, and what have they taught you? Oh my gosh! So, lot of lot of failures to to uh, to account for, and and well, you know, failures is a loaded word in in a lot of ways because you know something cannot work out the way that you might have thought you wanted it to work out at the beginning, uh, but that those experiences can teach you a lot, and and so. Um, you know, the, the, the early, you know, as, as part of my career, joining a big company, fabulous learning experience. I learned a lot. Um, decided not to continue working for a large company for all sorts of different reasons. Is that a failure? Maybe from a certain perspective, maybe not. So I'm, I'm certainly uh, not and, and will never be the CEO of Procter & Gamble. That's not a bad thing, in, in, in my opinion. Um, the personal MBA has has gone through a lot of iterations, and and so you know it it is you know the book is what it is, the site is what it is, uh, because it's been improved over time, but that improvement came at the cost of doing a lot of things that didn't work. So so for example, personalmba.com started as as a uh, discussion forum, believe it or not, 
Um, and you know, there were parts about that process in in you know having people who were who were you know really discussing this and gathering information that were good. And there was a tremendous amount of wasted time, you know, even for for very you know tactical things like deleting discussion forum comment spam that took more hours of my life than I would care to admit. Um, so every you know when you try something and it doesn't work the way that you expect it to, you know the best thing that you can do is you know learn from your experience in in doing that thing and 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 change what you're doing in in a way that will work better. You know this the same thing works. You know the what I've been focused on for the past year and a half, two years now, uh, with the rapid skill acquisition work, is you know your your early learning in in the process of uh, of picking up any new skill. It's almost just predicated on failure. Like those those first hours of learning anything new are frustrating because you're trying and you're trying and you're trying and it's not working and it's not working and it's not working. And I think the danger there is you know trying something new, having it not work, and there's an incredible inclination for many of us to label ourselves as a failure at that thing, right? I'm not good at that. I'm not talented at that. I can't do that. When really you know you take those failures as feedback. You adjust your approach. You try again, and lo and behold, you know if if you uh, persist through those early hours of practice, you really can do it. it. It's it's mostly a matter of of trial and error and experimentation. You will get there if if you keep persisting. And so you know every single you know process of learning how to do something new, whether it's playing a musical instrument or or programming or um, picking up a, a a new sport. You know, it's all based on trying things that that in the end don't work, but in the process of doing that, you learn what does work. You just keep doing that. You started talking a bit about your uh, approach to rapid skill acquisition. Can you talk a bit more about that? Maybe tell us a, a bit about uh, the first twenty hours and the work that you're up to now. Yeah, totally. So, so the first twenty hours is is a, a system or a method that's really designed to help you pick up any new skill and, and be able to perform well as, as quickly as possible. And so, and, and, you know, any skill is, is, is basically anything, you know, from a physical skill, like, like learning how to uh, play a sport or, or play a musical instrument or anything that involves moving your body in, in some way, or, or a cognitive skill, like, you know, for example, speaking a language or uh, programming a computer or, or something that, that, uh, requires making decisions with your mind. I wanted to put together a, a fully general method that will allow you to learn anything as, as quickly as possible. And so the core method, you know, it, it, it's really just designed, you know, based, based on, on, on the past six or seven decades of, of psychological uh, cognitive research into skill acquisition, you know, doing what works and, and not doing uh, what doesn't work, the, the things that, that sap your time and energy. And the, the general method is actually, it, it's really very straightforward. You know, the, the, the first thing that you do is, is decide what you want. What do you want to be able to do? What, what does that look like? Uh, I call this setting a target performance level. And, and the more clearly you can define exactly what it is you want to be able to do, the easier it is to find ways that will lead you to, toward that result and uh, avoid doing things that won't lead you uh, to, the, to that result. From there, you want to deconstruct the skill into smaller subskills. 
And so, you know, most of the things we, we think of as skills, like speaking a language or programming or playing an instrument or playing golf or, or whatever, they're not just one thing. Uh, so it's not just one skill. It's, it, it's a bundle of much smaller sub-skills that you use at the same time. And so one of the best things that you can do is instead of trying to practice everything at once, you just deconstruct the skill into much smaller subskills, and you practice the most important subskills, the, the ones that you're going to use most of the time, you just practice those first. If you pick up the most important subskills, you'll improve as quickly as you're capable of learning in, in, in the broader skill. Uh, you want to do just enough research to figure out what those most important subskills are but not so much that, that the research becomes a form of procrastination in itself, right? So you get better at the skill by actually practicing the skill in context. Reading books and taking courses and, and all of those very academic things don't help you as much as, as, as you might expect. You want to do just enough research to be able to jump in and, and correct yourself as you, as you practice, but you want to get into, into actual practice mode as quickly as you can. Uh, from there, you want to spend a little bit of time removing barriers to practice. And, and some of those barriers may be physical, like you don't have the tools. Uh, you, you'd be amazed at, at the number of people who say something like, I want to learn how to play the piano, but they don't actually have a piano or a keyboard uh, available to play, right? You need to have the tools uh, to, to actually practice. Um, anything that you can do to make it as easy as possible to jump into practice is a benefit. So have your tools close at hand. Make sure that the setup is, is as efficient as possible. And you know, remove distractions or, or things that would, you know, when the going gets rough, and any you know, bright, shiny object or thing that can distract you, uh, if you can eliminate that from your environment, it's much easier to keep practicing uh, even when, when the going gets rough. And then, you know, last and, and, and most importantly, you want to pre-commit to at least 20 hours of practice before you begin. And, and that pre-commitment is critical for, for two reasons. The first is, is it's, a, it's a very important check on, on your, your values and priorities at the time that you're actually practicing, right? So if you're not able to say to yourself, I am, I am going to rearrange my schedule and do whatever it takes, to put in 30 to 45 minutes of practice every day for about a month, which is, is about 20 hours, then you're probably not, this, this is probably not important enough for you to spend time on right now, right? So if that's the case, there's no shame in that. You know, drop whatever it is that you're thinking about learning and pick up something else where you are willing to, to make that commitment of time and energy. And then, you know, the pre-commitment serves as, as a very important way to persist through those early, very frustrating, very intimidating hours, hours of practice when, when it's not going well and you know it's not going well. And so by, by pre-committing to at least 20 hours, you are, are giving yourself an opportunity to say, you know what, it's not going well right now. And that doesn't matter because, you know, if I suck, I'm going to suck for at least 20 hours. And, in, and at that point, uh, if if I don't like it, if it's not valuable, if I don't, if I'm not making any improvement, I have permission to quit after 20 hours. But I'm not going to quit until I put in at least that amount of time. And so what you find is the first couple hours of practice are intensely frustrating, 
And then somewhere around hour four or five, you start to notice some, some real improvements and it gets exciting. And, and by the time you hit usually hours eight, nine, ten, you're getting very real results and you're having fun and, and, and the whole thing is starting to come together. And you will have never reached that point unless you pre-committed to, to putting at least 20 hours in. So it's, it's a nice way of, of using some, some insights from behavioral psychology to make it easy to sit down and do what you want to do, which is practice in a way that's actually going to help you improve. So what's next for you, Josh? What's, uh, what's on the horizon in terms of projects for you? Well, uh, uh, a couple things. Actually, uh, my, my wife and I are, are expecting our second child uh, here in a couple of months, which, which we're very, very excited about. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, actually, the, you know, the, first, the first 20 hours as a project really came out of, you know, I run my own business. My wife, Kelsey, runs her own business. And, and two and a half years ago, uh, we, we had our, our daughter, Leela. So all of a sudden, we had no free time. And so, you know, that, that my, my whole natural inclination of, of wanting to explore new things, you know, my past approach was, was basically just semi-informed dabbling. Like I would just, you know, spend some time exploring something and, and whatever I got, I got. And, and after Leela was born, I didn't have that free time to, to dabble anymore. And so, you know, it became a, you know, if I really rearrange my schedule and I, and I make it a priority, I may only have a half an hour or 45 minutes every day to, to, to explore new things, to pick up new skills. So, so, you know, how can I make sure that I get the most results out of those half an hour, 45 minutes every day? Uh, so that's where the first 20 hours came from. So, you know, it's, it, we're, we're, we're gearing up for, for baby number two. You know, there's there are a lot of of areas of life that that I'm I'm still interested in exploring. So so it looks like a combi- combination of continuing to learn new skills uh, and and doing doing research. I, I've I've recently become really fascinated with with a a growing trend in in businesses, which is the process of of starting and running a business by yourself. So, so not having employees, not having contractors on retainer, uh, just you and your customers and, and whatever systems that you are able to build to make sure that your customers are happy and satisfied and you don't go insane. Um, I think that, that the whole process of, you know, that, that was, this is a development that, that has only really existed uh, for a couple of years now. It's, it's very new. You, you used to have to have a lot of, of resources and, and a lot of, uh, manpower in order to, to really start and run a successful business. And, and, and now it's possible to, to do that by yourself and do that in a way that is, is both rewarding and sustainable. And so, yeah, I, I'm doing a lot of, of research and examination, and um, I'm going to jump in and, and, and uh, see if I can create something that, that helps more people. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with regarding authenticity? There's probably something in the back of your mind that you've always wanted to learn how to do. And, and that could be, be anything. It could be something that, you w- that would help you at work. It could be something that, that would provide a lot of value uh, or enjoyment in, in your life. But I think a lot of times people have a list of things that, that they kind of feel like they should learn or, or that people are pressuring them to, to, to pick up. And, and the thing that's in the back of your mind may be way different from the things that, that other people are telling you would be optimal. Uh, what I would encourage every listener of, of this podcast to consider 
is look at your schedule and, and, and block out. It doesn't have to be, you know, as little as 20 minutes every day to really sit down and finally learn that thing that's in the back of your mind that you've wanted to learn how to do for a long time. And just sit down and approach uh, the learning process in, in a smart way and sit down and actually practice. And what you'll find is the, the skill, whatever it is, is way easier to actually learn than you expected it to be. And it's worth it. It's rewarding. It, it's something, something that, that will continue to feed your life in all sorts of, of, of ways, uh, both, both immediately and, and far into the future. So whatever that is for you, and it's, it's, in my experience, it's different for everybody. But just sit down and figure out what is that thing in the back of your mind that you wanted to learn how to, how to do? And then sit down and learn how to do it. It, it. it takes less time and it's easier than you think it is. How can our listeners engage with you, Josh? All right. So, so for more uh, information uh, about my latest book, The First 20 Hours, you can, you can find me at first20hours.com. And for uh, all of all for for me personally, the best website is joshkaufman.net, and I have uh, uh, my my continued research on all of these areas, uh, business skill acquisition, and everything else, uh, will be posted at, at joshkaufman.net. Great, we'll be sure to link to that. Josh Kaufman, thanks very much for sharing this time with us and the conversation. All right, thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Josh Kaufman for that conversation. I hope that you enjoyed our chat and that you enjoyed the personal MBA and the first 20 hours. Since this is episode 14, you can access the webpage and show notes at acongruentlife.net slash 14, where I'll link to Josh's personal website and the sites for his work. If you'd like to stay connected with what's going on at A Congruent Life, please join our community update list. Just go to acongruentlife.net and leave your name and email address in the box at the right. Thanks again for being here and listening to A Congruent Life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.